0: This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers?
1: What up? we back to drink some more beer and talk about the Bible. Talk about the Bibble. I'm actually excited. I'm proud of myself today.
0: Because you did something extremely different.
1: I did something extremely different because you all have been giving me so much crap about
0: being a hophead. I am proud of you. It is still a heavily hopped beer, based on what the
1: can says. Well, it's, <laughs> it's just made by a brewery called Hopworks, <laughs> which insinuates
0: a decent amount of hops.
1: All beer has hops. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but the level of hops and the kind of hops you use make it different.
1: Oh, it does. It absolutely does.
0: um, But, yeah, I know. He got a sour.
1: I did. So, uh, apparently, Hopworks Urban Brewery is out of Portland, Oregon. Hey, that's a good brewing city. Um, It's not as good as
0: Houston. Hey, St. Arnold. (laughs) It's
1: true. It's not as good as Houston, But Houston's not as good as Fort Collins, Colorado. No, that's true. It's the brewing capital of the nation. St. Arnold's. Hit us up. Um, We want a partner. It's independent craft uh, certified by the Brewers Association. It's 5.6 ABV. It's a recyclable can, which I love. Um, And it's it's called a stoner fruit apricot sour. The stoner... that's that's throwing me me, off a little bit that that Um,
0: leads me to believe that it's heavily hopped
1: yeah i don't know so if you don't know beer lovers um hops is a cousin to cannabis in the the greenery family it's a cousin and weed is legal in oregon so i'm sure they're doing some play there on their words and their marketing um so, you actually
0: see that pretty common in, like, IPAs and, and heavily hopped yeah, beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They'll, like... Purple um, haze, IPAs. Yeah,
0: whatever. They'll make jokes um, yeah. related to weed, and it's funny.
1: Yeah, hops hops is a cousin to cannabis, and it is what it is. Um, yeah. So you just got to know, and that's that's why they make jokes like that. Um, I am not a sour fan. Um, yeah, Clayton is not. We were at the store and I was like, "Hey, dude, you want to drink this sour?" And he was like, "Uh, no. Yeah,
0: I've drank many a sours in my day." Uh, in my
1: day. <laughs> you old
0: person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, well, actually like in Belgium, sours are moderately popular. Yeah. Um, and I've drank quite a few and I just I can't get there. Yeah. Um, and so um, I have an amber that I'm super excited about the, the thirsty goat. Um six point eight ABV. Um yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about it other than I mean it's it's an amber. I've never I think had it. The before. name's cool thirsty goat. Thirsty goat, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. cool. It reminds me of that How I Met Your Mother episode with the goat. Oh, with the goat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the goat. Um what was what was the goat? Missy. Missy Missy the goat. That's <laughs> Missy right. Missy
1: the goat. I don't know how you almost forgot that. That's our mom's name.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, hey, this is important to mention. Didn't know this. Just read it. Uh, bottled and brewed in Houston. Hey. Or, I'm sorry, not in Houston, Austin. Oh, but love that. Love it. Love it. Love Texas beers. Yeah. Anyways, I want to get into this.
1: All right, let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, shoot.
0: Wow. I need my monk.
1: It's not hoppy at all. No, Nope. not hoppy at all. True sour, definitely get the apricot. Very, very nice.
0: You know there there hasn't been a time on this podcast where I had a critique. Oh I had yeah, one critique could actually use a little bit more hops
1: on an amber. Mm-hmm. That's saying something.
0: Yep yeah, it's it's kind of. Uh, it's good, like for what they're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's just it's lacking some depth for me, and I think yeah. that
1: is, I get could,
0: that could come from it, like some centennial. But,
1: but okay, so that's what I was going to ask: is it is it that it needs additional hops or it needs a different style of hop?
0: It could be a little of both. Okay, um, I think it would benefit from a, a, a more um, bold hop. Um, the The malt flavor is very prominent. Um, low level bond, mm-hmm. um, and so it it is lacking a little. I
1: think. Well, it can't be it can't be that low because um, it's amber, so it's it's got to be at least it's on the lower end of the amber scale. Yeah. Well, it's got to be at least what three hundred level bond to get that Something caramel like that. color.
0: Um, but it it is lower, right? In, yeah. In the retrospect of amber, yeah. Um, and so it's just I so don't you're know.
1: not you're not getting some of that that more roasted flavor of the higher level one that
0: that you should that i expect in an amber yeah and so you
1: and so if you're not going to get that you kind of want to sub it in with a little bit more complexity in the hop yeah Yeah. i get that that's and that's
0: just my critique right like it's not a bad beer i think it's a good beer yeah but um and i know this isn't a a beer reviewing
1: well it kind of is kind of we just
0: we don't do this very often where we
1: I don't know, but we don't really find beers that we have to critique. I mean, Mm-mm. I was sitting here and I'm like, I actually really like this. That sour, this sour. I mean, it it may be one that I return to. Uh, and I'm not a huge sour person. I do like some sours. I don't like berry based sours. So I don't like raspberry sours or or. You know, blueberry sours or anything like that, strawberry sours. I think the the berry base is too tart. Yeah. But an apricot adjunct I think is really, really nice.
0: I haven't had a stone fruit sour. Mm. Um I mainly have had like berry yeah. sours. I don't like the berry sours. Um I've never done like an apricot or a peach or something like that. I also um,
1: don't like super high citrus. Sours. sours like yeah. lemon or lime or orange i don't like those
0: i have had those i don't like those yeah
1: all those things they're, they're just too tart yeah so all right well we've done the beer portion we've done the beer portion uh before we get into the theology portion i want to make a cat like i want to make a disclaimer oh it's like 11 30 at night yes we're four podcasts in we're exhausted and um each, what is it, two
0: or three cups of coffee in now
1: yeah, so we're we're running on fumes here, so forgive us if we're not as enthusiastic as we normally are.
0: Which is probably a good thing because we got really enthusiastic
1: last week. <laughs> we did. We got really enthusiastic the last couple of weeks, but we're both just really passionate about the Bible. Yeah. And we we want to show people, I mean, oh, you you have a, a story about the last couple episodes uh, of oh, in this series. I
0: do, I forgot now. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I did want to tell you all this because it does show our love for the Bible, but it also shows the need to have this conversation Over the before the, the last episode came out. So we're recording this on Friday, um, the day after the Inspiration inerrancy Sea conversation um, re- was released. Before that episode released, I got asked three different questions. Um in the span of the time that we recorded the episode of the time that the episode released, I got asked three different times questions that came back to inerrancy and inspiration. Yeah. Three different times in one week. Yeah. Um this is a conversation that needs to be had, and this is a question that people have. Yep, um, and it is becoming increasingly more. Um, how do I how do I word this? It is becoming increasingly more people are becoming increasingly more aware that the Bible is not perfect.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, just not even necessarily like biblical scholars while that is happening too but just general people right um just churchgoers yeah they are and not some of them aren't even churchgoers a a couple of the people that asked me don't attend church regularly
1: yeah well and that's that's the point that i would make i think before we, we were able to get away with certain things around the conversation of inerrancy because people just didn't have the resources accessible to them to yeah. fact check. Yeah. But we live in an information age. We live in the digital age. We live where more information is available to the average person at their fingertips than has ever been true, even for people who were in places of resources.
0: Um, Which is both good and bad.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a blessing and a curse. And so people are now able to check it across one another. And I just feel like we're, we're playing a, a weird game of drum jump rope that almost doesn't need to be played because people have these questions and they have the ability to Google and, and ask these questions to Google and get a number of answers from a number of different perspectives. Excuse me and from a lot of perspective like from a lot of traditions that honestly don't care about inherency
0: yeah no that's that's a fair point i mean that is a fair point
1: that's only an american evangelical position
0: yeah more or less i um, mean or
1: or people that american evangelicals have reached
0: i have talked to uh, many a catholics about this
1: they they couldn't care less. It's well, a pointless doctrine to and, them.
0: And lots of them are like, What? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> like they don't it's this not even a conversation, conversation that yeah. they have, so they don't even know the terminology.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not on their radar. And so I have to explain, oh well,
0: it's that the Bible is without error. And most of them are like Psh. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, Really? Yeah. <laughs> like this is a question for you guys. Like yeah. Um I mean, remember for them uh, apostolic succession and all that stuff like it's scripture, a different kind of conversation scripture
1: is not the end-all be-all for a catholic
0: um so yeah no that's solely us <laughs> that are yeah. asking this question yeah so but with then, all of that
1: yeah. i wanted clayton to tell that story because it, it it goes to show that like this is a this is a question that people have this is a conversation that people are having and if the church doesn't also engage in this conversation, we're going to be left behind.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, well, and so,
0: and I think that that is why we are increasingly seeing the, this younger generation walking away from the church. Yeah, right. We talked about this on on Tuesday um, about the, the, like this whole idea of being a church for people who have been hurt. Right. Yeah. Um, well, lots of times people have these questions and leadership is just like, Oh no, just believe what the Bible says.
1: Yeah. Well, I I was literally talking to my leadership coach the other day and he was asking me some, some questions. I love my leadership coach because he, he does not pull punches. Um, he asks very difficult questions and forces me to come up with answers. mm -hmm. And he was asking me how my coach, it's a very good, he's a very good coach. Um, he was asking me how my deconstruction journey impacts my pastoring mm. and and if my deconstruction journey is fully lining up with our culture long story short the answer is yes um but that's one of the questions that he was asking kind of probing because i was working through some of the like just hurdles that wilhouse has to jump um but one of the things I told him is as we got into this, he began to ask me and probe me about my deconstruction journey. And he goes, what what spawned this for you? Hmm. And I was like, literally, genuinely, I had questions and the answers I were given was insufficient. Yeah. Like when I asked why can't women do this, the answer I was given was insufficient. Yeah. When I asked why do we believe that the Bible is inerrant, and they say because the Bible says it. I'm like, where? Well, and then, like they they want to point to Second Timothy, and I'm like, oh, well, it doesn't actually say that, and and, and that's I'm, just an insufficient answer. And
0: I'm sorry, but you can't use one the the text in question to prove that that same text.
1: That that is a fallacy, you know. Like that is that is fallacious. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. Um, And Um,
0: and so, but this episode is not about inerrancy.
1: Well, it 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 is, but it's not right. It's It's, a follow up. Yeah, it's about canonization. And if you've done any study on canonization, you know that it's not detailed clearly. No, not at all. Most people will tell you that it began in 200 BC. And was completed sometime in between 200 and 300 AD. But here's the problem. When I learned, excuse me, when I learned in undergrad or my first master's degree or somewhere, I was told that the canonization process was finalized at something called the Council of Jambia in the last five years or so that's really come under scrutiny Mm. to not being a real thing and very, very big name theologians are no longer supporting the council of Jambia. Mm. So take that with what you want. Um, no matter whether that council existed or it was done in another council that's not recorded somewhere, we've lost the documentation, whatever, it happened. But there were some criteria for what canonization was. And largely, the Torah was canonized very quickly. Sure. So the Torah is the first five, um, or the Old Testament, the Pentateuch was... Um, canonized very quickly. First five books of the Old Testament, very quickly. Prophets, shortly after that. Wisdom literature, shortly after that. The writings. Like, the Old Testament was formed pretty quickly. That There wasn't really much question there. The Apocrypha, in the, in the Catholic and Orthodox, there was some shroud around it, and so it wasn't fully canonized, but... It
0: doesn't make them any less valuable.
1: Nope, nope, not at all. And... So there were four criteria, I need to pull up my notes, for what canonization was. And so outside of the Old Testament, specifically the New Testament, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. First was apostolic origin. Mm -hmm. So it had to come from an apostle, and specifically an apostle who could directly tie their lineage to Jesus at some level or, or someone connected to Jesus because interestingly enough, Luke never met Jesus. And yet he writes Luke and acts. Yeah. So it was, it, they were a first century apostle that was connected to someone who touched like who was with Jesus. One of the original. Okay. It had to be universally accepted. So it like unanimous across the board that, That Christian communities all over the known world were using it. It had to have liturgical use and it had to have a message that was consistent with the rest of the scriptures. Okay, so it had to have a consistent message. Now, a few things there. Let's take those, okay? Apostolic origin. Is that true? Did all of the New Testament end up. From apostolic origin, I mean,
0: kind of depends on interpretation. Um, We
1: know a lot more about it now, yeah, than we did back then. Really, kind of
0: depends on interpretation,
1: it really does. I mean, because
0: Paul never directly walked with Jesus.
1: Well, but Paul does say that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, sure, 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 sure. But and and yeah, that, but he's also, but he's also an apostle. Right. He's not a disciple. He's not one of the 12, but he's a, an apostle. apostle. Yeah. And that's what it was, apostolic origin. Okay. So, But we know a lot more about them now, and yes. we have questions about some of the authorship. Yeah. For instance, we have no idea who wrote Hebrews. Mm-mm. No clue. That might not have been an apostle. Maybe not. There's pretty substantial evidence that says that John, the apostle— did not write Revelation. Yep. There's pretty ample evidence that First and Second Timothy and Titus weren't written by Paul. Yep. There's a lot of evidence, and I, I say it all the time. It depends on which side of the bed I wake up on, where I'm at on this issue. Uh, I can't decide if John, the gospel of John, was written by John himself or the followers of John after his death or some combination of both. Um, but does his, that really matter? Well, his followers like, are not apostles.
0: No, but I'm just saying that, like, and, and this is the that that's my point, right? Like, it, in the overall scheme of things,
1: does that matter
0: like, to the council? Obviously, to the
1: canonization did. process, it mattered. Yeah, but like, why? Yeah, but here's the deal so there are lots of other things that are written by apostles that aren't. Yeah. They're called the apostolic fathers. You can go look them up. I I have a copy. um, Excuse me. Very valuable resources. One of them is titled the epistle of Barnabas. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Interestingly enough, Barnabas is an apostle. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That letter is very valuable. I, I do think it's very valuable and yet it didn't make it into the canon. Yep. Um very interesting to me. Very interesting to me. Barnabas is a less known apostle? Sure. But he walks with Paul, he does the work of Paul, he goes with Luke who's and, also there. I mean, and Paul talks about him a yeah, few different times like I mean, it, him and Mark are friends, like mm-hmm. the, they're all around each other. And he writes a letter that's extremely valuable and has massive manuscript evidence to support its truth, and yet it didn't make it in. Yeah. Interesting. So It is interesting. So it had to have apostolic origin. It also had to have uh, universal acceptance. This is the problem. Because not everybody was using all the books and it depended on where you were. I mean, you got to understand by, by two or 300, when we're working this stuff out, I mean, you got Tertullian in Africa. Yeah. You got the Cappadocians and the Greek fathers. You got all the Alexandria guys origin and Clement over there in Egypt trying to do their thing. Yeah. I mean, you got people scattered so across this out. and you got you got Gnosticism running rampant. Oh yeah. You got all these people combating Gnosticism and doing it in different ways. And then at one point, you know, you got you got all the the Greek people over here doing their thing, and you got the Alexandrian people doing their thing, but then you get the Antiochians over here and the, the Alexandrians are doing a very allegorical, kind of metaphorical, really spiritual kind of interpretation of these things. But then you get the Antiochians who are, are much more like no expository. We're going to read it for what it is and that's it. But then you got the Africans over here and then from them arise the Desert Fathers and like people are all over the world trying to wrestle with these questions and they're using different books. Yeah. They just are. And,
0: and so it becomes very, very difficult to say, if it has to be universally accepted, um, to say, okay, well, it seems like everyone uses this in some way, right? Yep. Utilizes this for something and utilizes yep. this for something. But isn't that exactly one of the main problems with the modern church? Mm. With congregant-led churches in that way.
1: That that it has to be my way or no way. That it has to be universally accepted. It's got to be exactly the way we want it to be kind of thing. Yeah. Isn't that the problem? Or one yeah. of the problems? Yeah. Because
0: shouldn't we, if we elect leaders in some way, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, shouldn't yeah. we trust that God put them there for a reason and that yeah. we need to follow their leadership?
1: Yeah. That's a very good point.
0: Um, so if we have this council to decide...
1: Wherever it is, if it's Jambia or somewhere else, yeah. Right.
0: Whoever this council of, of people of faith are, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever, shouldn't we have let them to decide
1: <laughs> without the, the universal acceptance? Well, it, it is a fair question, but there are some other things that happen... So it's it's got to have a liturgical use. Sure. Which means it's got to be read and preached in church or it has to have prayers or those kinds of things like. But which is fine, but then it says it has to have a consistent message. Which I get. That is
0: is totally fair in a way to an extent.
1: But it's not. But it is. No, no, it's fair. But it doesn't hold true.
0: No, that is also that is yeah. yes. So so and
1: I get it. Remember what I said. They're trying to combat Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Gnosticism mm-hmm. running rampant. There's a lot of pseudophographic letters being written that are not there. You can go look these up. They're called the Apocrypha, the the Christian Apocrypha, the New Testament Apocrypha. You've got the Gospel of Mary, you've got the Gospel of Thomas, you got the infancy gospel of Thomas. You've got the gospel of Peter. You've got the gospel to the Hebrews. You've got a ton of them. There. It almost seems like every Easter, one of them pops up. It's like, oh, the forgotten gospel. No, it's not forgotten. We just rejected it. Yeah. Because it doesn't tell a Christian message. Yeah. It says that the body doesn't matter. It's all about the soul. Who cares about the body? Jesus wasn't divine. If he, if At one point in in the gospel of Thomas, like you got... Jesus pushing people off roofs, like it, yeah, it's, it's just nonsense. Flipping, it, it doesn't make sense. It's flipping crazy. And honestly, a lot of the narratives that we get that are just kind of around Christendom come from those gospels. Yeah, like the whole deal that Jesus is married to Mary Magdalene, that comes from one of the apocryphal gospels. Yeah, it's not like we've rejected those. So I get the issue of it being a consistent message.
0: Sure. But I'll be honest,
1: at, at face value, James does not seem to be a consistent message with the rest of the New Testament. No, and
0: we talked about this last week, that that was one of Martin Luther's big things. Mm-hmm. Is that James felt like he was pushing a works-based faith. Mm-hmm. And it very much does seem that way.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, if, if you read it correctly, yeah, I mean, or if you, or you if just, you read, just read, it for read it what it yeah, is, it it seems like you got to work for this. Yeah. It's, it's not... Totally freely given. Uh, now I think we have found ways to massage it. Yeah, sure. Um, and and make it more unifying and and coherent with the rest of the the New Testament. But if you just at face it value, up. it's like it seems to be a works based faith.
0: Yeah. Um, and so yeah, no, you're right. James doesn't seem like it fits. Um, and I still always have this question. In, in the idea of fitting into the larger narrative. Mm-hmm. What is Jude doing there?
1: Yeah, Jude's a weird one, as as well as honestly, Philemon.
0: Yeah, also, yeah, no, that's a fair Philemon point.
1: is a really interesting one. As and I don't and I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak on Jude because I'll be honest, uh, I'm just not it's not a book that I'm super comfortable like expositing
0: and talking about.
1: Well, no, I would exposit it, but like, it's not one that on a whim I could talk about. I'm a Paul guy. I'm a gospels guy. I'm not a general epistles guy. I don't know those as well.
0: I have read Jude several different times trying to answer this question. Like what is it supposed to, what is its function here? And I cannot figure it out.
1: Well, and, and so you, you've brought up first Enoch a couple of times. It's, 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 it's not a New Testament thing, so we're going to no. leave it out of this true, conversation. True, true, true. But the Jude one is a weird one. I mean, it, it's an apocalyptic letter, and a lot of Paul's letters are apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't miss that. The Thessalonian letters are apocalyptic. According to N.T. Wright,
0: that is how Paul wrote everything, <laughs> is through it, the lens that he believed that he was living in the end times, essentially.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, so. Maybe, maybe that's a good clarification. The apocalypse, so Revelation, the letter, or the the work, Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, the Greek word is apocalypse, but it is the apocalypse, definite definite article, the apocalypse. That is not what we mean when we say apocalyptic literature. No. It is a a worldview through which you write. Yeah, Jude is apocalyptic. (laughs) Many of Paul's letters are apocalyptic. I don't, I disagree with Tom on that. I don't think all of Paul is apocalyptic. I I feel like
0: he's writing from the stance. This is another conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need
1: to have that at another time. But I disagree with Tom on that at that point. But, so Jude's an interesting one. I'll be honest. Jude's a very interesting one. I don't. I don't know exactly what to do with it. Um, Philemon is an interesting one. Let me say, I'm glad Philemon is there. Sure, because I do think it's valuable. I do think Paul is clearly rejecting slavery in that text. Yes. And if you know anything about Wellhaus, you know that we're diehard partners with Elijah Rising. Shout out. You know, ending sex trafficking through prayer, awareness, all those things, and great candles. Intervention and restoration. There you go. Uh, uh, Like I said, forgive us. We're tired. Previous uh, volunteer. Yeah. Um, They hold that letter very seriously Elijah Rising. Love that. I'm glad it's there. But I also go, okay, what's going on? Because slavery is still a thing in 200 and 300 AD. Yeah. So it's like what, what why is that there? Um and to be honest it doesn't it doesn't promote a consistent like a consistent message because no. Paul says in two other letters Colossians and Ephesians where he gives household codes that by the way he stole <laughs> at least the format of a household code he stole a household code he stole from Plato. Yeah. Or
0: he tells he tells
1: way. slaves to obey their masters. Yeah, he does. So, this whole idea that the canonization process was dead set and undeniable and no question, it's just a false narrative. Yeah. It's not set in stone the way that we want to believe that it is.
0: And, and so, the, really, the the point of this episode um, was to tell you that there is always questions Mm -hmm. and there's always gonna be questions yep and it's okay
1: and that's okay
0: and you know what we've said this multiple times on this podcast we've said it on other podcasts um if god if your god is not big enough to handle your questions there's something wrong
1: if your god is not big enough to handle your questions in the most loving and pastoral way possible your god is whack yeah
0: We need to be comfortable with accepting these questions Um, and accepting when people ask questions Um, and not everyone is going to see it the same way. That is why there are three different versions, accepted versions of the Bible. Um and when I say versions, I mean versions of canonization,
1: not right, not right. translations. Catholic, but, Protestant, and Orthodox. Yeah. And
0: all of them are fine. All yeah. of them are valid. Yeah. Um we use the one that we use because that's the one we use.
1: Right? Yeah, it's our it's our tradition. I and I do think, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's the one we use because we use it. I don't the,
0: legit. I think that that's just the best way to say it.
1: Yeah, it. I don't have another reason to tell you
0: why you shouldn't use the Maccabees or.
1: Yeah, I I've read those. I I don't think there's anything that I go ooh that leads it me feels. to believe like that shouldn't be canonized. Yeah. Um, no. No more than James, anyways.
0: And actually, what's hilarious is in our uh, homeschool curriculum growing up mm-hmm. um, was written by a fundamentalist tradition no, a
1: fundamentalist tradition yep
0: um, they told the story of the Maccabees went to me whenever I was I don't know the hammer yeah when I when I was like what probably sixth grade yeah yeah they told that story <laughs> yeah I've never heard this before. This is interesting. Why have I never heard this before? <laughs> yeah.
1: Here's what I would say to end, to end this conversation because honestly I'm exhausted. Yes. Um, two things. Number one, make sure you join us next week. Cause we're going to talk about what do you do with all of this information? <laughs> like what, what does this even mean? We're going to talk about that lesson that next week, but Here's what I would say. No matter what you think about the Bible or the process or any of that, two things. Number one, this is where faith comes in. Yes. This is where we say, hey, you know what? We've got to have faith that God is in control and God knows what Mm -hmm. he's doing. He's not leading us astray by giving us a book that, we think is flawed and
0: that is that is something that we do need to to actually speak on a, a bit here because that it does seem to be the common question well if the bible does have some errors in it somewhere how can i trust it at all how can i trust anything that it says
1: well that's a great question how can i trust you at all cuz you have errors exactly and god uses you exactly god uses me i have errors I, I don't I think that's just a, a flawed idea that that because it's somehow from God and used by God that it must be perfect because I'm from God. I've made in the image of God. God is uh near and dear to me and He's watching over me and, and He spirit, uses me. The spirit and, is a part of us. Yeah, and I screw up all the time. Yeah. Like why why does that somehow make the Bible disqualified or me disqualified because it doesn't. It doesn't. It, but that but that is a very common question. It is. It is. So that's what I would say. Faith, faith comes in here. The other thing that I would say is, you know. It's not only about faith it's also about just the understanding that God's given us something that no matter how you feel about it, that and this is what I like to say all the time. The Bible, first and foremost, if you're reading it correctly, reveals the character of God. Yeah. If it doesn't do anything more than that, if, if, if it, if it let's, let's forget the whole idea of revelation. Let's forget the whole idea of inspiration, which we're going to have to talk about, but let's forget those for a minute. If all it did was record the activity of God and and show us the character of God.
0: It's doing its job.
1: Wouldn't that be enough?
0: what have we said multiple times and we should put this on a flipping t-shirt the bible is there to help you to learn to participate in godness yep that is its sole purpose yep and i stand by that and i will say that till the day i die the bible is not there for any other reason nope except to help you participate in godness so in some ways we as americans in the American church, need to learn something from our European counterparts um, and our Orthodox and Catholic and Catholic friends. This shouldn't even be an argument. It's not a question. It should not even be a question.
1: What I what I would say is, and and this will be a great transition into next week's episode. But like, if. If you're having conversations around the Bible and it's it's beyond it's beyond just enjoyable dialogue about how you as a person beloved by God and made it in the image of God can better participate in the character of God you're reading the text wrong that's what it's there for. It's for God to reveal himself to you and for you to better understand the manner in which he's asking you. He's inviting you to participate in his image and nature, and if you're not getting that out of it, you're reading it wrong. If, if, it's, if it's a book that you think you can go around and, and point fingers at people and judge people or if it's a book that that you think you can read and it somehow gives you fire insurance, or if it's a book that um, is is somehow some weird piece of like rabbit's foot that you think is going to get you a get out of jail free card. If it's any of those things, or, or any even th-
0: or even if it's just simply a, a means of academic discussion.
1: Yeah, if it's any of those things and anything other than communicating the character of God to you and showing you how to participate in the character, nature, and image of God, you're reading it wrong and you've missed the point.